go. Hey, uh, next Sunday, uh, a little bit different. I've asked Jim to teach next Sunday, and it's really any, uh, open to whatever, Jim. Uh, uh, part of the reason is uh, I'm going to be preaching the main service next week while uh, Pastor Brian's in Boston. And so that's kind of why I just want to double up. So thank you for that. Uh, some of you have asked about my dad. Uh, he, he's going to come to Raymore tomorrow. We're going to be uh, bringing him home to uh, Foxwood Springs for a week or two while his leg rehabbed. So anyway, they got the infection down and uh, he's off pain meds and he's walking with a walker. So anyway, huh? Well, uh, <laughs> the whole thing started because of our county fair. My dad needs to have his knees replaced, but he got cortisone injections in his knees, and somehow they introduced uh, bacteria into his knee, and he got infected because of the shot. So all that was, anyway. Yeah, that opened him up again. Anyway, good morning, Pat. Any, any update on your daughter? Yeah? actually turn to Revelation before we before we go to Job 3 we're going to look at Revelation 12 <clears throat> and uh, one of the things I don't want us to miss and, and I'm really bad about this I don't know if you're bad about this but I just don't want to approach Job just kind of from an intellectual level you know because it's cool to learn neat things and gosh this is the oldest book and you know it, Job is just what they call a, a literary masterpiece. It's so well written and uh, it, you know talks about some pretty deep things at times and pro- probably deeper than we're going to be able to get to. But look at Revelation 12. I do want us to connect uh, a, a doctrinal point here with Job. And part of the reason I I want us not to just approach Job as a intellectually because uh, this this guy was really suffering and you know Pat, Pat is uh, you know a little bit uh, I mean it, it grieves you that your daughter's suffering 
And, uh, you know, the last two weeks of my dad suffering, I, 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 uh, I, 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 my dad just doesn't cry, but he just, he just closes his eyes and grits his teeth. He's just in so much pain, you know. And just to see someone suffering, I mean, maybe that's a little different than loss of things because he's really in pain, but it hurts you to see them hurting. And anyway, these, these things are real. And so Job's suffering is not to be just glossed over, but uh, look here in Revelation 12 with me. We're going to read the first five verses, and there's one little phrase I want us to see, because this is a, this is writing about the nation of Israel and uh, the return of the Lord. So Revelation 12, verse 1, and there appeared a great wonder in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun and the moon under her feet. And upon her head a crown of twelve stars. And she being with child cried, travailing in birth and pain to be delivered. So this, this woman that's clothed with the sun, this is a, you know, a, kind of a, a it, it's representing Israel, being the nation of Israel as a woman. And uh, these 12 stars are, are the uh, 12 tribes of Israel. And verse 3 says, And there appeared another wonder in heaven. Behold, a great red dragon, dragon, having seven heads and ten horns and seven crowns upon his heads. And his tail drew the third part of the stars of heaven and did cast them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman, which was ready to be delivered for to devour to devour her child as soon as it was born. And in verse 5 it says, And she brought forth a man-child who was to rule all nations with a rod of iron, and her child was caught up unto God and to his throne. And so this is just really a beautiful language. But uh, Who is this man-child that is going to rule the nation? Who is that? Yeah, it's uh, this this man child uh, is none other than Jesus, and so uh, in the in the tribulation period, she's like this woman groaning, and so the outcome of her suffering is the return of Christ, and He is going to rule and reign with the rod of iron, so He'll come back as a king. But so so now look back over at Job. You say, what does that have to do with Job? Well, hopefully this will make sense. So, back in Job 3 is where we're at. And uh, we'll try to get through this whole chapter today. And I'm going to read these first three verses of Job 3. Uh, After this, opened Job his mouth and cursed his day... And Job spake and said, Let the day perish wherein I was born, and the night in which it was said, There is a man-child conceived. Everybody see that phrase comes up again there? And so we've said that Job is a type of Christ. And uh, just as we've seen uh, in the tribulation period, Israel uh, is in travail and brings forth Christ's return here in Job 3 
it, it says after this. Now, what, what do you think he means by after this? After what? What had happened right before all this? Yeah, so yeah, after his loss and after his decline of his health and the visit from his three friends. So they just sat in silence for these seven days and seven nights. And so uh, I don't know what you and I would have said first off after all this, but this is what Job says. It says he curses his day, and verse 3 tells us what that day was. What is his day represent? birth, his birthday. So he begins to curse. So he doesn't uh, curse the Lord. He doesn't uh, charge God foolishly. But he does curse the day of his birth. And he, he uh, I put in your handout that the first, your first blank is just the word curse. Uh, and I kind of gave you a definition there. The word curse means to utter a wish of evil against one. Uh, how do you say it? To imprecate evil upon? In other words, you're, you're wishing evil to happen to someone or something. To call for mischief or injury to fall upon. To excrete, which means to abhor or to abominate. And uh, I gave you some examples from Deuteronomy there. Most of you are familiar that if, if the children of Israel obeyed God, that he would bless them and bless their children, bless their home, bless their cattle, bless their crops. But if they disobeyed the Lord, then there would be certain curses that would happen to them. And their enemy would overtake them and their crops would not yield well and their cattle would, uh, you know, lose their, lose their babies and... So there would be uh, certain curses. And so Job is cursing uh, his day. And uh, uh, you know, I don't know how much of this Jim brought out when he did the manuscript evidence. But uh, regardless of what Bible you're reading, most all Bibles are historically accurate. And you can get devotional things, but phrases like this man-child, I mean, I, I've got an NIV Bible I looked up, and it says boy-child. Job cursed the day that a boy-child was born. And do you see how you lose the cross-reference there? And you're not able to compare Scripture with Scripture. And uh, this, this is one of the cases, and, and so that is the failing of, of other Bibles, that you lose the ability to cross-reference and compare scripture with scripture, and it's kind of left up to you to understand some of the doctrinal meaning. Uh, but with the King James, we can cross reference these and we can see, wow, that's pretty cool. This Job who was persecuted, like the nation of Israel, uh, uh, is, is cursing the day that a man child was brought forth, and uh, the devil seeking to devour him, just like he does the woman and the man child that she brings forth. So. Anyway, I thought that was pretty cool. <clears throat> and then these next 
verses. Can somebody read 4 through 9 for us? Uh, I think Emmett's got his mouth full. Pat, let me start with you, uh, and I'll go around that way. Read uh, Job 3, verses 4 through 9. So these first ten verses, Job is cursing the day of his birth, and uh, there's several things here we can see. Uh, I listed on your handout that Job wishes that God would forget his birth in verse 4. He don't want God to regard it. In verse 5, he wishes darkness darkness would stain his birth. Verse 6, he wishes that the calendar would, you know, the days and months would forget the day he was born. And he wishes that joy would forget his birth. uh, And that others would forget, curse his birth. And even that light would forget his birth in verse 9. And a lot of these are very... Again, these are connected with the tribulation period. You know, the tribulation period is called a day of darkness. And we know that the shadow of death is connected to uh, the tribulation period. And I think it's in either Amos or Hosea where it says it's a day of clouds. And even, even Job speaking here mentions this day of clouds. It's a time of darkness and so all of this is very uh, you know pregnant with meaning and verse 10 there kind of gives the reason the reason he wishes this curse on this day is because his mother's wombs were not shut up and because because his eyes were not hid from sorrow so verse 10 was kind of the end of that section there about his birth and then verse 11 is going to pick up uh, about, you know, kind of cursing his life. But I gave you a couple uh, quotes uh, right underneath the thesis at the top there. Jay Sidlow Baxter, he says, Suffering fulfills a divine purpose and exercises a gracious ministry to the godly. And so Job doesn't understand the reason for his suffering that he's going through it by faith and he doesn't uh, doubt the Lord. And my teaching point here, and when I read this, uh, some of you know Matthew Henry. I I read some of Matthew Henry's commentary this week and this is one of the things he says. He says, many may curse the day of their birth 
but none ever cursed the day of their new birth. I, I just thought that was pretty, pretty good that he added that. Uh, you know, the day we were saved, all of us are thankful for that day, aren't we? We're, we're glad we're saved, we're born again, we're on our way to heaven. And so, yeah, life is tough and we may uh, not like it many times, but we have hope. We have uh, joy that we will be with the Lord forever. And so that is, that is comforting. So any, any thoughts or questions about this first section that you wanted to, to make mention of? Yeah, that's right. Hmm. Are, are you just making a comment or did you ask him? Yeah. Yeah, I, I don't know necessarily why. I think that's Jehovah Witness, isn't it? That maybe don't celebrate birthdays. Feel like they're gonna make it. Wow. Huh. 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 Wow. That is interesting. Yeah, that's interesting. Uh, Belinda, I hadn't thought about it like like what you're saying. I, I think there's a couple a couple different times in the Bible. Maybe it's. Herod, in the celebration of his birthday, he had John the Baptist killed. So there's a couple times where people are being killed on birthday. So, I mean, I definitely think, I mean, it's more traditional, isn't it? I don't think there's anything wrong with celebrating a birthday. Yeah. 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 So... Right. Yeah. That's true. Well, this next section is uh, really good. Verses 11 through 19. He says, Why died I not from the womb? So, so now, now it's a little bit a different emphasis that he's He's starting to curse his life now. Now that I was born, you know, why didn't I die after I was born? He says, why did I not give up the ghost when I came out of the belly? And I, I put quite a bit on my handout about this. Um, there's a couple I want us to look at. Well, let's look at the ones I underlined, uh, the Matthew 27:50. Belinda, I may have you read that when we get there. If you would, Matthew 27, 50. 
So we, we know our body is what they call a, a trichotomy, a, a body, a soul, and a spirit. Uh, they're listed in, in uh, it's either 1st or 2nd Thessalonians, 1st Thessalonians, I believe, 5.23. And it's, it's listed as spirit, soul, and body in that order. But this is the Lord Jesus Christ on the cross, and he mentions his spirit here in 2750, uh, Belinda. Yeah, so uh, he mentions the ghost. So that's what goes in your blank. He yields up the ghost. Why you say that? Yeah. challenge our thinking and uh, so but yeah Pat, Pat you're right it makes a little distinction there now my little bullet point there the soul and spirit leave the body at physical death and let's look at the Genesis 35 this I don't know if this is the first mention of, of this but Genesis 35, I think this is Rachel, but she's having the baby Benjamin, and she actually dies at childbirth here, so Genesis 35, 18, and uh, Pam, would you read that? Okay, so Rachel, so the next verse says, and Rachel died. So uh, her soul departed, it was in departing at the time of her death, and, uh, well, let's look at all these, and let's make a little bit of conclusion. Uh, let's go ahead and look up the other two, the James 2.26. that so we're uh, looking at some things that happen upon death and that that's what Job is wishing for 
So the, the body without the spirit is dead. So the, the spirit leaves, the soul leaves, and when the body dies. And then look at the Ecclesiastes. This is kind of more of the definitive place, the Ecclesiastes verse. And Jim, I'll come up to you on this one. Uh, 12, 7. Yeah. Yeah, so so the dust returns to the earth just like when people are buried in a grave their their body decomposes and goes back to the dust. But their spirit returns to God who gave it. So we have a, a human spirit, but then the Holy Spirit seals our soul into the day of redemption. So our soul goes to be with the Lord, and our spirit goes back to God. And But if, if we're not saved, then our uh, we're like the rich man that went to hell, and his soul goes into hell. And your soul is who you are, right? Uh, your soul is you, and that's what lives on forever and ever. So that, those are kind of the three parts, and I probably didn't do that justice, but when Job is desiring death so he can be at rest, uh, a lot of... Let's, let's go back to Job now and read, read this verse uh, 11 through 13. Uh, Sherry, do you want to read those? Job 3, 11 through 13. So there's several times in here where, in fact, as we read through the rest of this, that word rest just keeps coming up. And so that's kind of what the Old Testament saints, as they would go, they'd be gathered to their people, and they would be at rest in Abraham's bosom. Uh, that's what Job was desiring, so that he wouldn't have to go through the, the trial and suffering that he's going through so he, he just desired to be at rest and so it is when, when we suffer but uh, Paul, his desire is a little bit different uh, look over at Philippians I underlined one there for you, Philippians 1 Because our, our tendency is, you know, when, when we're suffering, it's like, God, just get me out of this. But Paul would say things like, you know, for me to die is gain, but it's better for you that I stay here. And I mean, he, he had the right perspective on it, not just, Lord, get me out of here. It was, uh, 
Lord, I know I need to stay because people need me, but I would be profited more if I was with you. Uh, Angie, do you have the Philippians 1, 21 through 24? His desire was to depart and be with Christ, and that would be way better, but to abide in the flesh is more needful for the people he was writing to. So, anyway, that's just uh, different perspectives there, isn't it? Paul wanted to be clothed upon with his house from heaven and, and be with the Lord. Huh? I think that was toward, maybe toward the end of his life. I, I don't really know. Uh, I don't know if Philippians... Okay. Okay. Yeah, I remember he wrote it in prison. Well, well back in... Uh, Back in Job, we're going to read here in 14 through 16. We're kind of back to you, Pat, if you can get 14 through 16 for us back in Job 3. Is that uh, hidden or untimely birth that the infants that never saw light? What do you think that would be like? Yeah. Yeah, like a miscarriage or... Yeah, I believe you're right. So he just kind of goes through these classes of people that are at rest, these kings and counselors and princes even infants, uh, infants that had not saw the light. And, uh, and then he goes on to talk about uh, verse 17, 18 and 19. And there the wicked cease from troubling. And there the weary be at rest. There's that word rest again. There the prisoners rest together. They hear not the voice of the oppressor. The small and great are there, and the servant is free from his master. So there's uh, activities here that are ended by death. You know, the kings are not ruling anymore. The counselors are not counseling. The, uh, the builders are not building. They're not having families. They're not in trouble. There's no more weariness. You can't get rich anymore. There's no more oppression. And so you're blank there at the bottom of the first page. Uh, death is the prisoner's discharge and the relief of the oppressed and the servant's freedom. So, oh, did I? 
okay, marginals, a little bit different. So just the word death goes in your blank, and that's, he's, he's commenting on life and just what he has witnessed and seen. And so my teaching point there is just Job feels like his life has been in vain. Just the word vain. Uh, and I, I, this verse from uh, Psalm 89 says, Remember how short my time is. Wherefore hast thou made all men in vain? So that the writer of that is just kind of commenting similar as, as Job is, it seems. Any, any other thoughts on this section? We're going to pick up on verse 20 through 26. And again, the, the, uh, Job opens the dialogue with his three friends here. So they're all three setting their list in as he is communicating and grieving his loss and his suffering. And in verse 20, uh, my, I titled this section just Job curses his trial. He, he, started, he, he cursed his birth, he cursed his life, and now he's cursing his trial that he's going through. Verse 20, I'll read, uh, or uh, Pam would, or Belinda read to you, uh, 20 through 22. gave you a Matthew Henry quote there. I, th I thought this was pretty profound. He says, Grace teaches us in the midst of life's greatest comforts to be willing to die and in the midst of its greatest crosses to be willing to live. I thought that was just pretty profound of Mr. Henry. <clears throat> and so, you know, a lot of this I've, I've had uh, an inmate pull me aside. It was, it was when I was still going to Warrensburg to the ICC. And, and he, he asked me uh, something like, would God forgive me if I kill myself? I mean, so I've had people say things like that. And, uh, so, and sometimes you don't know if it's just kind of a cry for help. And I think it probably was with that guy, or if he really wanted to kill himself, you know. And so with Job, I mean, he's not going to take his own life, but he's grieving that, you know, boy, I wouldn't be going through this now if I just hadn't been born, and if I hadn't lived, I mean, I could be at rest. And so he's, in a way, he's searching for death. Uh, look, look with me hold your place here and look at Revelation 9 7 
And again, this is kind of representative of some things in the tribulation period. Look at Revelation 9 and verse 7. I, sh I should have put this on your handout. I don't think I've seen it till after I printed these. Maybe you can write it on your handout somewhere. No, I don't think that's the one I wanted. Oh, it's just 9-6. Yeah, uh, Pam, do you want to read that? 9-6. Yeah, so that sounds a lot like Job, doesn't it? He's desiring death, and... Uh, I don't know if you've ever felt that way, but uh, I, I guess I've talked to people that kind of wish they were dead, but, you know, would they take their own life? I mean, some have. Uh, right. It's kind of like they wish they were dead, but they're not going to take their own life, and I guess God's not going to allow them to die, so that it, their death kind of be vain. Yeah. Well, I, I asked about his salvation. Because some people think that maybe, you know, because suicide is self-murder. And, and if, if you believe that, you know, if, if that's unforgivable, then you, then you would not go to heaven. And so I tried to encourage him. And I think, I think this guy was saved. And so I more or less told him that, you know, it would be, you know, kind of your your last bad decision but uh, you know if you're saved you would, you would go to heaven still is more or less I believe what I told him Pam yeah right right and I right yeah the, the church I went, grew up in went as far as to say if we, we gave like the we were in the I remember this distinctly in, in the young people's class we're like so if you're in a war and you get shot and you cuss as you're dying they would say you're going to hell because you because you didn't repent of that sin before you died so yeah and so no we 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 believe that what yeah once it's not some, we, you know, you hear this expression, once saved, always saved, but we say once you're born again, you can't be unborn. And that's, you know, that's, that's true, isn't it? You, you're here and you can't be unborn, and salvation is like that. Think the unpardonable sin is, and he said, "Murder." 
And he didn't know. That's what he said. He thought it was murder. I said, no. And I, I said what you said, Pat. I said, no. Really, just dying without accepting Christ. Yeah. 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 Pam, read verse 23 and then and then read verse 20 again also. Uh, 3.23 of Job. And then go up and read 20 again. Yeah. Yeah, and even at the verse six, at the end of verse sixteen, it mentions the word light. So I, I, I put light in your next blank. And in verse twenty that Pam read, does everybody see this this poetry? Wherefore is light given him that him that is in misery, and life unto the bitter in soul? So you see that light is directly connected with life. So that that's my blank there. Life is compared to light. And I gave you some examples of light on your handout. Uh, light is pure. It cannot be defiled. Light is constant. It, it doesn't change. I mean, these are ways that light is like, because Jesus is the light of the world. And so we don't think about it literally, thinking about light, like we have a, the lights on in here. But light draws attention to itself. Light dispels or displaces the darkness. And light brings hope and life. And uh, I mean, that's even true. I think I've heard of places like Seattle, Washington, where it's kind of rainy or cloudy a lot. There's just more depression and things like that. And just places that don't have light as much. Alaska and England. Huh. Really? Because it's dark a lot of the year. Huh. So anyway, uh, Job speaks about light here and that it's uh, he's asking, Lord, you know, why would you give me this light? Uh to a man whose way is hid and whom God has hedged in. And you know, that that was kind of Satan's art. He used this this topic of being hedged in. Like, God, you put a hedge about him, but if we take away that, and so anyway, he kind of confirms that God had hedged him in. In verse 24, Job has no relief. He says, For my sighings come before I eat. So, man, you get up to eat breakfast and you're just hurting all over and my roarings are poured out like the waters. In verse 24, 
And in verse 25, Job uh, feared the loss of things. Uh, for the thing which I greatly feared has come upon me, and that which I was afraid of is come unto me. And then in verse 26, he says, I would... Could you, you kind of look at this different ways maybe, and I'll just share how I understand it. I was not in safety, he says, neither had I rest, neither was I quiet, yet trouble came. And so... Uh, we've seen from Job 1 and 2 that Job, uh, he knew his own heart, he knew the heart of his children, so he was working. I mean, Job was not retired, he wasn't just coasting. He said, I wasn't in safety. He says, I'm still out there, you know, uh, busting my rear end, trying to work and maintain the things that the Lord has given me, and I'm sacrificing for my children. So he said, I was not resting. And yet, trouble came. And so, uh, my teaching point, this last blank here, was just that it's okay to question God, but not doubt Him. And uh, in ministry, you do run a... I always kind of cringe when, uh, when people... I mean, it's okay to say, you know, why did God let this happen, or why am I going through this, but uh, to say God must not be real, or to say, to really doubt the Lord's goodness in the face of difficulty, I, I personally try not to go there. Is that what you guys are thinking too? Because you, you do question, you know, you know, I wasn't in safety, God. I, I've been working for my kids and i uh, leading my family well. I'm treating my servants well. I mean, I've, I've maintained my integrity. And, you know, God, I love you. I don't doubt you. But, you know, why is this happening? I just wish, I wish this, I wish that. So it's just amazing thoughts he's communicating, isn't it? But uh, that's kind of a conclusion I came to there. It's, it's okay to questioning God but not doubting. That's right. He does say that. Mm-hmm. That's a good that's a good way to look at it, yeah. Yeah, even Christ said, Not my will but thine be done as he was approaching his suffering. So Anyway, we, we'll get out a little early, but I, I wanted to go through these. Uh, and Jim, I, I pretty much copied these words for word out of your... Uh, one of the things you did, maybe the manuscript evidence. Or maybe it's when you go through Proverbs. You, you mentioned these different types of Hebrew poetry. Uh, so there's this completing. And I think that would be... In 3:20, this is what baby. So, in, in, in Job one, and so Job is one of the five books of Hebrew poetry, and really chapters one and two was more of a, a prelog, or it was talking about the story. But we're starting to see poetry now in Job three, and verse 20 was a good example of it. Wherefore is light given to him that is in misery, comma, 
and life unto the bitter in soul. So he connects this life with light. Does everybody see how this is kind of completing? He's kind of completing this statement. And the bitter in soul is connected with the misery he's going through. Does everybody see that? So this uh, light is connected with the life. And that, so that verse is part of Hebrew poetry. Is We would say it's a completive, completive statement. And so it uses words like and or so. And then comparative, a statement is made. And then a second statement is made to, in comparison to further illustrate the thought of the first. And it's uh, comparative verses uses words like like or than or as. And uh, we're going to see several of those. But, uh, you know, we even say things like we're hungry as a bear. So we're, that's a comparative. We're, uh, uh, I don't know, what else are you thinking now? Uh, um, I'm so tired, I, you know, I can eat a horse, I don't know. But we, we say things like that, it's uh, full as a tick, there you go. <laughs> That's uh, kind of an uh, ugly illustration, but we use it, don't we? We're full as a tick, we can just pop. <laughs> so yeah, that, that those are comparative, so... You kind of take the unknown. Well, how full are you? Well, you're full as a tick. Well, oh, well, you're pretty full. We, we compared it to that. Uh, if you see the tick. And then the last one, the co- contrasting poetry or statements is made. Then a second statement is in direct contrast to the first. So contrast verses use that these words like but and so that that's a lot in the Proverbs you know the foolish man does this but the wise man does that and so Jim gave us a lot of examples of that but we're, we're going to see all the all these in Job as well and I I've got a list of a few in Job and I, I didn't put them on here so Lord willing we'll look at them as we go through but my teaching point here, I don't know if you brought this up, Jim, but Hebrew poetry does not contain parallels of rhyme. Because when we, when we have poetry here, in the, I mean, roses are red, violets are blue, you know, we, we make rhymes, but Hebrew poetry use parallels of ideas. And the reason that's important is that uh, you can translate it. This translates to other languages. If you had a poem that rhymes and you translate it to another language, it wouldn't make any sense or it wouldn't at least rhyme. But if you, if you say you're hungry as a bear or full as a tick, you know, other languages understand bear, they're hungry, they devour a lot, they eat a lot. So... Everybody see that kind of so in Hebrew poetry, uh, this helps with translation 
of the, of the Bible because it translates parallels of ideas and not just rhyme like we do. Is that, I, meant to, I meant to say rhyme. Is that... I must, I must, maybe it is. I was copying from something I had, so... Uh, yeah, so I guess just uh, poetry does have a rhythm as well as a rhyme. Huh. So either either or, or both. Yeah. Yeah. So we will close up a little early today, and we'll uh, chapter four is where uh, Eliphaz, I think it is, begins to speak. Yep. So we'll have Eliphaz, the Timonite. We'll talk about him, uh, I guess, in two weeks. Jim will be here. Uh, I'll, I'll be here as well next Sunday, Jim, so I can give announcements. And so I'll be here. So any, anything else before we close today? Yeah, the fear. Right, so there's really two verses are really good for that. Uh, Jim's pointing out that you know things we fear, uh, we're not to live in fear because uh, in First John, right? First John, he, he says that perfect love casts out fear, and then. Uh, Right, and he was being truthful, and yeah, of course, Timothy says that uh, God has not given us the spirit of, of fear. You're saying this is kind of a hint of maybe some of George uh, Job's shortcomings, and point yeah we, uh, we fear loss of health or monies or possessions or life or many things we can fear even looking being shamed or yeah no, that's, that's a good word Jim
Yeah, I had two cross-references. One was to the 2 Timothy 1, 7, where you know, God has not given us the spirit of fear, but the power and love and the sound mind. And, and then it's in 1 John, where it says that perfect love cast out fear. So yeah, those are remedies for it. Just when that fear comes, like, okay, that's that's the, the devil causing me to be uncertain, and I'm just going to trust God. And you have to be intentional about that, don't you, to... Uh, yeah, Melinda. saying there, a friend of mine, because you know, when I was first saved, it seemed like there was a lot of prophetical things happening, and everybody's, uh, you don't hear as much really even now, it doesn't seem like, even though we're closer to the end than ever before, you don't hear as much about it, but there's a lot of prophetical things, and uh, just a friend of mine, because because I, I just tell him, like, man, we'll never see retirement, will we? And uh, he said, you know, Steve, he said, we need to plan as if God won't come back in our lifetime, but believe that he could come back tomorrow. And I just thought that was a pretty, that really helped me at that moment. Because it's like, okay, I'll keep putting a little money in my 401k instead of blowing it all. And... I mean, it helped me think about the future, uh, like like you're saying. I don't know if that helps anybody here, but plan like the Lord won't come back in your lifetime. So, you know, Brian, he, he has this, this is the time of year we turn in ministry plans and budgets for next year. And, and most of us don't want to think that far, like, you know, the Lord will probably come back before then. Why are we planning? But, but we do, we plan and we budget and we... But uh, we believe that the return of the Lord is near. And so I, I think Job was like that. He, he had some fears and maybe some areas he wasn't trusting God, but he wasn't doing, not doing anything about it. He was serving and he was ministering and he was living for the Lord. So, anyway, I don't know if we really did all that justice, but uh, that, that's kind of my point in all this is this, not to quit trusting the Lord and, and that's, that's advice for me too because uh, the last two weeks like in life issues we really haven't had any guests or so, most of our students are not coming and it's kind of causing us like to doubt like God where are you we're here for the you know we just came through this great walk and we've got money to help people we could but uh, anyway those are just so those are doubts and fears that I have to trust the Lord for. Like, you know, I even told Brian Hedges, like, our attendance is really down. And he's like, well, we're just going through, uh, you know, waxing and waning. And, you know, it's a lull period. And, and that's kind of what Angie said. And so we'll just keep writing the inmates and keep uh, trying to minister to those that are suffering with addiction. And, 
So, but yeah, they've doubts and fears. And those are so of mine. It's like, gosh, we're a ministry leader. We've got all these people, the sound booth and child care, and we got snacks prepared, but there's nobody to give them to. There's no, no children that night. So you wonder, God, what are you doing? Yeah. No. Tony. Uh, not not right now. Uh, I, mean, I keep inviting him, but uh, we didn't give him a camper. We gave him a bicycle. One of our members helped him move the camper. Yeah. I think he gave $500 for it from uh, somewhere in Adrian or Archie. But no. Right, I, I keep. Oh yeah, he's been there two or three times, and we told him to get a hold of Kelly if you want to come. Or I gave him Mark Shipley's number, and so he keeps wanting me to just come down there and visit him. And yeah, he comes visit us. And, so anyway, well, let's let's close up there and uh, pray us out here. Lord, Heavenly Father, we. You have the in prayer. Just thank you for the good discussion and these uh, relevant topics from this uh, Job's word so many thousands of years ago, Father. They're just so relevant to us, and He's communicating thoughts that uh, each of us had, or have had, or will have uh, sometime or another. And Lord, we uh, desire to be home with you and to be at rest, and yet uh, we're here in these bodies and. And uh, we're, we're not dead yet, and you want to use us here. You don't want to save us just so we can be in heaven. You want to use us while we're here. So help us to be usable. Help to train us up. I pray for uh, each person here, for uh, Emmett, for Pam, for Belinda, and Pat, and Chuck, and uh, <coughs> the Boras, uh, Leo, and Amita, and Sherry, and Jim, and Angie, and I. We just come to you uh, as one man. We uh, ask you, Lord, to... Bless our lives. Use us for your honor and glory. Help us to be uh, good uh, stewards of what you've given each of us. Help us to gain an understanding of uh, this uh, ancient book of Job and help us to apply it to our lives. And the Lord, uh, just, uh, just all I want to say this day, Lord, is thank you for helping my dad uh, come through uh, his knee, knee issues and uh, Help him to walk again and learn what he needs to learn while he's down. And uh, for Rachel, Lord, glad that Pat's daughter's home and hopefully healing and getting better from her uh, liver transplant. And, uh, Father, any other unspoken needs, Father, we just lift you up to you right now and uh, be with our main service, be with the team going to, to Boston. As Jim said, this is a hard uh, soil spiritually and help them to plant seeds that will be... Uh, Harvested that uh, maybe while they're there or maybe later, and be with uh, Brother Mike Renault and his wife and family, and help them to uh, pastor that church and pray uh, bring the right people to them and uh, grow them and build your church there. Lord, thank you again just for all these 20,000 Bibles that got uh, put together and binded and cut, and uh, Lord, help them to get to the Ukraine in the hands of men and women and children that will uh, open them and read them and want to have them. And uh, Lord, we just uh, thank you for this uh, Bible conference and uh, Brian, uh, Brian and 
Randy's vision uh, to uh, publish your word. Thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, thanks for joining us online and uh, closing out.